Hello again, welcome back to The Wealth Tech Show. I'm Ian Horn, and in this CityWire podcast, I look at how technology will improve the way that we manage personal finance and investments. This time around, we're looking at recruitment within financial technology, and I'm joined by Nadia Edwards-Dashti, co-founder and chief customer officer of Harrington Star, which is a fintech recruitment service with offices in London, New York, and Belfast. Now, some listeners will be aware of Nadia's work. She spoke at Money 2020 in Amsterdam, hosts the Fintech with Nadia podcast series, and is the author of the book Fintech Women Walk the Talk. Uh, Nadia, thank you for joining me. And how are you today? How are you getting on? Really happy to be here. Thank you so much. And what a lovely intro. Thank you. I do my best. I mean, it's all written down. For anyone listening, this is that was scripted. <laughs> so if it sounds like I'm actually quite articulate, don't don't believe it for a second. I mean, you'll find out in a few minutes anyway. Um, look, let's let's start at the beginning, Nadia. Um, what got you into te- uh, fintech recruitment? Uh, you know, recruitment is a sector which is is highly valuable, but sometimes gets a bad rap, doesn't it? What what led you towards it? Oh, totally. So, um, look, I fell into recruitment in 2005. I finished my master's at UCL and I said to myself, right, you have three months to find a job. And I'd done my master's in international relations. Um, I made a number of applications to firms and organizations that were totally in line with that. And recruitment was really a wild card. Um, and actually, I fell into it. It was probably a mistake on on my part and on the recruiter's part when I arrived there. And, and I said, so sorry, what's this job? Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, lo, lo and behold, a few recruitment interviews later, and I was hooked. Um, I, was, I was hooked about the potential of finding technologists' roles into the financial services sector. And that's the bit where I think I'm really lucky that I fell into that because who would have known 18 years later, uh, 17, 18 years later, that here I am being able to help so many people um, find new jobs and build their careers within the fintech and financial technology space. And relatively an industry that has has been, I don't want to say completely unscathed, but has got through the pandemic, has got through two recessions I've seen. Um, and it's uh, incredible that this industry is still here and thriving and I'm able to help so many people thrive within it. That's a, that's a lovely <laughs> introduction. And, and it's funny how you say you kind of fell into it. I think financial services jobs most people seem to have fallen into it somehow. Do you think it was quite useful that your intended disciplinary background was nothing to do with financial services? Has that given you a different perspective? Um, I really think so, actually. And when I valued it so much was at the beginning of the pandemic because everyone freaked out, right? We were all like, oh my, you know, we've got to work from home. How are we going to cope with this? But I just remembered my master's and I remembered sitting in Senate House for 10 hours. So there was a a library, Senate House Library, right off Russell Square. And I would sit there for 10 hours a day and I would work and I'd work and work and work during my master's. No one made me because actually I only had four hours a week, but I really learned, I I had to teach myself discipline. And I remembered that so well when we went into the pandemic because I thought, well, actually I can use those skills and, you know, really 
really be able to transfer the way that I'm working. And that sort of transferable skill was brilliant. But, you know, all the way through my years of recruitment, I think I brought a unique perspective to recruitment. I'm incredibly detailed. Um, I had to be during my my two degrees. Um, I'm, I'm very, I think about things. I probably, let's be honest, overthink things. But when you are trying to advocate for somebody, which essentially is what recruitment is, you are advocating for them to try and get them the best opportunity in the best possible circumstance. When you're doing that, if you can be truly, truly detailed, if you can have all the evidence, if you can present that evidence correctly to a person that's going to make a decision, you can really do well for other people. Um, and uh, I think advocacy is the key word there. And that's the bit that I've really loved. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's far more involved than the typical cold approach that people get on LinkedIn, right? Um, where they've probably not taken any notice of, of your career history, what you've done, anything like that. Um yeah, you're describing a good type of recruiting. And and what a, a great industry to be in with fintech as well. I mean, to outline the, the opportunity there, um, you know, between 2011 and 2016, uh, the number of fintechs grew by 21% year on year. So there's loads of new startups, those innovations come through. Um, according to KPMG's Pulse of Fintech report, total investment in fintech has reached a new global high of $210 billion. Uh, growth has been driven more recently by cryptocurrency and blockchain and buy now, pay later, among other innovations. Uh, wealth tech is doing very well. Um, and there's also been major investment to, to modernize banking technology too. Um, so you've got this great opportunity here of a growing sector. Are you seeing an influx of talent to accompany this? So this is such an important conversation to be having because we've got all this funding. We've got all these fantastic ideas around um, democratizing finance or democratizing the access to finance. There's all these products that no one could ever have thought about before. Funding is coming in at such a rate, but it's coming in at a rate that's above the talent that's actually here. So essentially what I'm saying is you've got so many more vacancies than you have people. Um, And historically, um, in traditional forms of recruitment, it's about identifying talent um, as somebody with experience. So we look backwards to identify talent rather than looking forwards to identify potential. So I'm working really, really hard to wave that flag of potential because first and foremost, um, like the, the physicalities of what's out there at the moment, if the fintech and financial technology firms keep headhunting from their competitors, it's not even a bottleneck. It's, um, you know, it's a great wall. It, you know, we're going to just stop because there just physically isn't enough people to fill these vacancies. So the conversations that I'm having with people is how can we go and identify people from outside the sector? How can we encourage them? How can we persuade them, influence them, excite them about the world of fintech? How can we change perceptions? And this is why I absolutely love your show, because this is about changing perceptions of this world. This world can be so, so exciting for any individual wanting to grow within it. The opportunities of the choices for people within their careers and the movability across career as well. You can start in one particular specialism and you can move into something completely different within this space because as these companies are growing at such a fast rate, there are jobs that we never even even had two years ago. There's constantly jobs being created. So 
for me, all of the words that I'm using, creation, um, forward thinking, innovation, agility, it's all about potential. It's about moving forward. And we've got to do the same with talent. We have got to sort of shake our own perceptions of defining talent as what's already happened and start thinking about talent, about what could happen, the opportunity of talent. So, you know, what does that actually translate to? I'm doing lots of work with um, a number of different universities. I'm doing lots of work consulting with different companies across the sector to solve that problem and answer that question. How do you assess potential talent? Because that's tough, right? You know, everyone essentially says, oh, finger in the air, pie in the sky. I've got a good feeling about it. And gut feel isn't necessarily what you want to rely on when when you're looking to build a company by 200% this year. So it's really about looking at probably one of the earlier questions you asked me, transferable skills, where we can look at evidence examples and case studies of where people have achieved things in other walks of life, not necessarily their career. So it's, uh, I'm really glad you've asked that question and we didn't plan it. And it's <laughs> fantastic that you did because right now for me, this is all about identifying talent, um, deciding what we actually define as talent and then the talent experience itself. It's really interesting because I, I, I think if I was uh, looking for a career change into fintech, that would be exciting news for me. I can also see the challenges these startup companies have. You know, the last time I saw data, I think people switch jobs on average once every 4.1 years or something around that, isn't it? Uh, and so if these companies are training people up, taking a year or two to get them towards somewhere near working capacity, you know, capacity do they then move to these other companies that are willing to pay top dollar for you know, skilled and knowledgeable people. Did you see a, a bit of an, an issue there of getting new talent into startups? Absolutely. So um, those stats that you've just shared are um, across the, the sector in general. But if we look at technologists, so uh, developers, the coders, um, so back in 2005, um, three to four years was the average tenure. Now it's 13 months. Damn. So it's even more, like I'm answering your question, but it's even more drastic wow. than what you're saying. Mm. So so actually the conversations that I'm having, and I'm, I'm speaking to a number of different organizations about this, is how can we upskill people quickly, but with credibility? Because saying that we need um, a number of people to complete a very expensive, uh, very long course, and then go and get experience, well, the world of fintech will be totally different by the time that's over. So um, all, all that money means that you're only you're only really looking at a very specific demographic of the world, i.e. missing out on a whole wealth of um, opportunity and potential skill sets. Um, the amount of time, well, that just doesn't work because um, the fintechs need, need to scale up now. They've got great plans. They've got great products. They've got so much innovation that needs to be put into practice by hiring great people that we can't wait for for a four-year course, you know. Yeah. Um, so actually, there's been a rise of three-month courses. But the work that I'm really doing is to try and build credibility into those courses because there is still the general consensus of someone feeling confident and comfortable with a computer science degree from a Russell Group University. The amount of times I've heard that um, and and that, you know, that sort of being the pinnacle definition of, of that person must be talented. And what I'm really trying to do is open up, um, you know, the conversation around potential, but also passion and commitment, because there is a lot of work that I've done in the recruitment sector over the years, probably since about 2009, where I've been talking about 
people's progression. So when when you go to look to make a hire, do you have every single one of your boxes ticked that you want filled in this hire? You know, like a like a, a Christmas wish list. I want this person to be able to do this, that, and the other. And anyone listening, everyone will all be able to relate to this, whatever sector you're in. That's essentially what you do. You write out the job description and you go look for that. And my whole belief is if you were to get that in an individual, what are they going to get? Where's their progression? What's next for them? Um, and what ends up happening is there is an underlying current of that individual feeling like they've done you a favor. You're getting all of them for for a role that, that they could do with their eyes closed. They could probably turn up late. They could probably leave early. Is that what we really want to be building into, into our people and our, our workers of tomorrow? Whereas my whole belief is how about we think about raising people up and helping them build their careers and taking on people who've got 50% of the skills, teaching them the other 50 or even 75 and teaching them 25 because that's how you breed loyalty. That's how you breed passion. That's how you breed excitement to come to work because someone's believed in you. Um, mm. And I'm, I, as you can hear, I am very passionate yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it comes through. It really yeah. does come through. And it, it's funny because you see, you know, memes online about that classic job advert that is an entry-level job that wants 10 years of experience and things like that this seems to flip that on its head and actually think how do we you know hire people that we can build and improve and grow from the other perspective though if you're a you know a new entrant into financial services you know i was looking at again some of the the data on this salary is still the biggest reason why people look for you know choose a new job uh, in financial services certainly and then Secondly, I think the typical salary rise from someone in financial services moving jobs is about 20%. You combine that with them figures you were saying about people staying in jobs for around a year. That that has to be a real problem for people that are trying to bring people into the industry and keep them at their company. Yeah. I completely agree. And um, I'm constantly having this conversation with people because at some point this has got to normalize because salaries have gone really uh, like over, over and inflated is probably the best word of saying it. Um, just to give some stats on that. So the Office of National Statistics produced that in 2021, and this is not just in fintech, this is across the, the UK. In 2021, anyone that moved job they, on average, were getting a 9.6% pay rise per hour. Um, anyone who stayed in their job got an average pay rise of 2.3. So, you know, what are we doing? We're encouraging people that to progress, you've got to move on. And this is another thing that I I'm, I do a lot of work, work with, and that is to try and change the way that we view progression. How can we, as businesses, partner with our employer, employees to ensure that they can progress internally? And this isn't only pay rises, but but still, it needs to be spoken about. It needs to ha the conversation needs to be had. Um, but it's other things. It's about communication. It's about flexibility. It's about progression. It's about options. It's about learning. Um, and I think that um, when we did all our surveys, um, so at Harrington Star, we're constantly doing surveys across all our candidates. So you know, in, in the space of, just to quantify it, in the space of a month, we will reach out to at least a thousand candidates. So, you know, if we want to do a, 
a half year survey, you know, will probably reach six to 10,000. So it's a, it's a good, it's a good group of, you know, to understand what's going on in the marketplace. And last year, so 2021, everyone spoke about progression and about communication within the business, wanting to have a conversation with their boss and feel that they could, they could dictate or be part of how that company and the direction of direction of that company this year, it's been very much around money, which I think is a reflection of what's happening in the industry. People are inflating salaries, but also we're not having enough of the money conversation internally or the direction around career progression. So I think that there's a lot more we can do rather than just putting our hands up and saying, well, people will leave to progress. Let's progress our people internally. Let's think about how we can promote people, teach them, um, and therefore retain and invest in them. Yeah. Do you think the news cycle has anything to do with that as well? Obviously, some some people do podcasts about the cost of living crisis, for instance. Um, You know, obviously, we're talking about inflation a lot. We're talking about rising energy bills, all that kind of stuff. is that also making people think more about their yeah, remuneration? Uh, absolutely. I, I think at the moment, I mean, we, we've all had it. Every single one of us have had it, that our energy bill has gone <laughs> through the roof. Yeah. Of course, it's going to be the first thing on our mind because um, even if you are... Um, in in the demographic that that isn't worried about how you're going to pay for your food bills, everybody is aware that the, the purse strings are tightening up. So I can imagine that that's part of it. But also, I think it does bring to light this um, this responsibility that we have as an industry to be thinking about how do we retain our people because every time somebody moves, I look at it from sort of a macro level. If they're moving, there's a potential for them to be moving out. And we need to be moving people into fintech and financial technology. So, you know, retaining staff, investing in them and helping them build on their careers is actually a much bigger picture conversation rather than one fintech hitting their scale up growth goals. I think it's bigger than that. Um, But also there's the panic because talent is in such demand at the moment. Um, It's very easy for a hiring manager to add an extra 15, 20K onto somebody's salary to keep them or to attract them because they want to get their particular project completed. Whereas actually we need to take a step back and think about it bigger picture. How do we keep our staff? How do we look after them long term? So look, as you can tell, this is the drum I keep banging the whole time. Mm -hmm. And, And do you think there's this financial services brain drain? Because that's something you see in headlines quite a lot. And, and, you know, ahead of this interview, I looked into it and I saw so many different news articles that they seemed almost an even split between those saying there's a financial services brain drain. People don't want to work for the banks and the asset managers. And then the other half said, no, that's a load of nonsense, overhypes. And, and I honestly find it hard to know what to believe. From your perspective, are you seeing people wanting to move from traditional financial services roles into fintech, into crypto? Is, is it is it hyper? Is it happening? Um, do you know what? I don't want to stand on the fence here because I, I do think there's so much hype out there. But it is happening. We are seeing people um, wanting to leave traditional financial services and move into um, the faster-paced fintechs. However, just because you want to do that doesn't mean that you're going to be capable or that they will want you. Now, let me just explain what I mean. So there is um, a big perception across the the, the fintech uh, companies that can somebody who has been used to working in a silo um, with lots of red tape, lots of people um, doing the jobs that they should do, lots of different cogs, let's say, um, 
can that individual suddenly join a startup where they need to wipe down their own desk, they need to go outside and, and buy their own computer or buy a computer which they'll then ex expense to the to the company. Um, and then uh, when that computer doesn't work, there isn't an IT department to, to call and complain to or one to be switched over immediately. You've got to do that yourself. Um, if there's a problem, you solve it. It's a very, very different mindset. Um, and this is this is always the question that we get when we uh, represent people from traditional finance, especially those that have been there sort of 15 years, they've grown up, um, they've grown up through the ranks at, at an investment bank, and now they're applying to fintech. The first question is, wow, do you think they're going to be able to handle the shift in the culture? And so it's our responsibility to have those conversations. Um, and I think that's a huge responsibility because it isn't just to say to somebody, hey, have you heard about the, the culture of fintechs? Can you imagine what it looks like? It's about going into that to the nth degree to make sure that somebody doesn't leave a secure job in a bank to move to a fintech and then hate it because they feel like hey i, I was used to the the mail person coming around and taking my mail you yeah know? yeah i can totally see that and when these people were looking to leave financial services jobs for fintech I mean, fintech obviously is still financial services but you know what i mean um what are their motivators because again we talk about salary being a motivator but it's not like banks and asset management pays badly um are they looking for something different, something more? What, what, what do they usually say um, to you? Mission, value, purpose, mm -hmm. always. Um, they want to feel like they're achieving something. Um, they want to use tech for good. Uh, they want to be able to play around with tech and say, hey, look at what I've just created, which perhaps isn't the set, well, not perhaps, most of the time, is not the setup um, in traditional financial services. Um, but there is this huge rise of mission, values, purpose, where where people in a fintech, they... They will, they will work, you know, their weekend or their evening or, and it isn't just about working long hours. It's about that sort of constantly thinking about the mission of the business and really being loyal to that mission, um, constantly being switched on to try and, to try and drive change in this world. And that is very, very different. I mean, I remember in 2005, placing technologists into, into banks and, did you ever use the word mission, value or purpose? <laughs> like never. It was it was very transactional. It was can you do this job? Yes, we believe this person can. Can you pass the technical test? Well, you did by the skin of your teeth. Now let's ne negotiate salary. And, you know, that was it. Whereas now it's much more all-encompassing. It's a conversation around, you know, your beliefs, who you are as a person. Is that in line with what this business is going to be doing and creating? Can you handle the agility of of a shift in mission you know it's it's all really fascinating stuff i think i would assume that's a, a kind of generational thing because you know I, I speak as a millennial i certainly know that gen z is a similar way the idea of having a mission and doing something valuable really does appeal to me for sure but are you seeing that across the board is it is it wrong to think of it as just the younger generations or, or is it just the younger generations oh it's definitely not just um and i think what i've really loved about my job is um so culturally, back in 2005 to probably 2011 or 12, culturally in recruitment, it was very transactional. Whereas, I mean, you can tell just by listening to me for about two minutes that that's <laughs> prob probably not my strength on the transactional side of things. I'm all about feeling and and, and wanting to wanting to trust a process and trust myself that I have genuinely looked after somebody within that process. And I think that, you know, I, over the years, what I've loved learning is that 
everybody is different um and and actually putting people into boxes and trying to generalize demographics is not the way forward everybody is different and of course we have seen a rise this wonderful rise in ESG with um with the younger generations coming in and demanding more and demanding that a company should be giving back to the world and and I love those demands um it reminds me of one of one of my podcasts. I spoke to Julie Ashmore Dan, CEO of Rapid Cash and NatWest FinTech. And she said that she'd spoken to um her daughter about always being able to do what she wants to do. And her daughter looked at her and said, what do you mean, mummy? Of course I can do what I want to do. And it's a different generation. And I love that. But, you know, to go back to your your question, I think it's um I think it's allowing people to be people. And that is what's great. It isn't that we have to to do well. You have to just do what you need to do for the big conglomerate. In fact, you can say, I care about this. And even now in the big conglomerate, you can say, I care about this. And I want to make a difference. And I'd like to go and do this. And there's much more chance to be able to do that. And I really like that the individual can can thrive in this world now, which yeah. is great. That is really just an encouraging thing, isn't it? And and speaking of purpose, let's let's talk about your own and your book. I really want to talk about your book, uh, FinTech Women uh, Walk the Talk. What's the? Well, I've got some. You know, before I ask you any questions, actually, I've I've pilfered some some stats from the front of the book. Oy. I won't <laughs> I won't lie. Um, so look, you set the scene really well in that in that book, saying that in 2021, only 17 percent of technologists working in the UK are women. Uh, only 17 percent of tech leadership roles are held by women. And of the fintech top fifty, only five percent of founders are women. So there's, yeah, you know, you've set yeah. up the topic. Talk, yeah, talk to us about the book. Um, so, so look, now 2022, we can say that across all tech roles in the UK, uh, now 19% are women. So that's great. Okay. So since the, the 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 book was written, there's been a progression. That extra two percent represents 60,000 women. So that's not a not an increase to be sniffed out at all. Um, but, you know, purpose of the book, uh, a number of years ago, I started recording podcasts. Um, and these podcasts, they started as the women of fintech. Um, they've now grown to the humans of fintech, the maternity and paternity stories of fintech, the talent surgery. And I'm sure there'll be many more streams as well, um, all under the banner uh, fintech with Nadia, the DEI discussions. But these original uh, conversations I had, the women of fintech, I knew straight away that this was something else. Um, these conversations were so, it was it was almost like an MBA or therapy for me because I was sitting there talking to these women who are C-level women across the financial technology space, C CEOs of fintechs, and I could relate to every challenge that they were talking about uh, of how they, they grew within their businesses, how they grew their careers, how they progressed, um, and the barriers and challenges along the way and how they overcame them and I was so I was just so enamored by by it all and I just loved the fact that this podcast it was me me just wanting to raise awareness and to raise visibility of these women but actually the listenership went up really quickly um what it did to our community of me um so I, used to, I would always take a picture of us this was pre-pandemic I'd do a selfie and post that on LinkedIn the amount of likes I'd get from it like I could see this this is a, like a community build at such a pace I'd never seen before um and I wanted to take it further so um I, I approached a couple of uh, book publishers and I said, look, I want to write up 
some of these podcasts because they're incredible. And I want more people to know about these. So I call them the great, the wonderful, the powerful women of fintech. Um, and I said, I want, you know, I want to really showcase this in another medium. I want to make it even more accessible for people because I want to, I want to show the world that financial services and fintech isn't isn't what we see on the evening news and the way it's the way it's portrayed. There, there are these wonderful women and wonderful people within our industry that are driving so much for inclusion. So Palgrave Macmillan, um, you know, they 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 put you through the through the ropes they really do but yeah they they were really happy in the end to to give me a contract and um and then um I put the book together so if you all remember the Christmas that we had cancelled in the pandemic yep yep. (laughs) I do indeed um so I had uh how old was she then she was probably eight months old um and um so yeah uh myself my husband my daughter we sat at home for 10 days and I had my uh headphones in and I listened back to 100, 120 of my podcasts, um, which most people thought for the book, I'd have just got the whole thing transcribed, but I didn't because I wanted to feel, I wanted to feel what these women were, were talking about. I wanted to feel their passion. And that is what I converted into this book. And I'm just so proud of it because it's, it's about me celebrating these wonderful women and, and a few allies, but also it is literally a how-to guide of how you build a more inclusive workplace. So all these businesses that say, well, how do we do it, Nadia? It is there. And it's not me telling you. It's 118 of the women of FinTech telling you. That's a seriously painstaking thing as well. I mean, I've been a content writer and, and journalist for about 12 years. And when you say you've transcribed 120 plus conversations I, I think people who don't do that job don't realize how much work that is that's a that's a serious endeavor yeah. and and these stories i mean the names that you've got the names at the front of that book it's it's a real list it's a real who's who in fintech isn't it you've got some incredible people there what i'd like to ask if you're able to is is there a particular story that really stands out to you of someone's experiences that you you think the world just needs to hear? Yeah, um, straight away I'd think of Billy Simmons. Um, so uh, she's the co-founder of Daylight, so actually an American fintech. Um, and the reason why I think of her is because uh, one of the quotes that I used of her in the book was, um, the system wasn't built for us. And I think that's so powerful. And she speaks about financial services traditionally being built by white, cis, straight men. Um, and she said it's for white cis straight men, and um, and I it, I really felt that because the example she gave was uh, who is the general demographic that gets their names changed um, at their bank? It's it's either women getting married um, uh, or it's trans people, um, and of course there'll be loads of other examples as well. But these were the two examples she said. She said it's so difficult to get your name changed, and that's because the system wasn't built for us. So she is now co-founder um, of Daylight, uh, the first LGBTQ plus uh, bank in the States. Uh, they are doing fantastically well, award-winning, and um, she's just so, so inspirational. I definitely would say listen to her podcast because it will just make you stop and think and think of somebody else's perspective. Your experience is so important. Your journey is so important. But what's even more important is being aware of other people's journeys. And in this world of fintech, it's about appealing to the masses, not just one demographic anymore. So we all have to get so much better at understanding other people's experiences. So 
yeah, that was the first one that came into my mind. Absolutely. I will listen to that podcast. It's such an interesting story. And I don't know if daylight has been mentioned on this podcast a few times before as well. So the words are really getting out there. And I know, as you say, they're, they're American based, aren't they? Yeah. Um, really incredible to see that kind of movement. And, and from your perspective, having spoke to all these C-suite leaders, what's the real key to creating effective action? Because we have loads of conversations around DNI. And, it, you know, I, I, I'll admit I'm a little bit fatigued by some of the whole this is good. This is nice. We know that it's a good thing. We know that data suggested it works. Fine. We've kind of had that conversation for years, haven't we? How, how do we actually put this into action? Totally. And that's why I called the book Walk the Talk. And I had to battle for that title because Palgrave Macmillan were like, what does that even mean? And I said, I promise you, anyone that hears me say Walk the Talk, they know that I'm talking about action. Let's stop talking about this. Let's drive action. So I think the one thing that brings, um, brings everybody together that have appeared on my podcast that are doing things is this constant um, call to action. So at the end of every podcast of mine, I asked the call to action question. When I did the book launch, I made everyone write pledges and everyone laughed when I, I said, look, you know what I'm going to ask you to do, write pledges and I'm going to catch up with you afterwards on, wh on whether you've actually done that. But I think it is that constant conversation, but calling each other out on it. What have you done? Have you done that? So I run a number of roundtables, webinars, and each of these roundtables it's not just a roundtable today, it's we're catching up again in three months to see whether you've actually done what you said you wanted to do. Because ultimately, when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion, people, doesn't matter how, how driven you are on this subject, people in their mind put it into the luxury item box and it isn't. We've got to work hard to keep it into the DNA because it's it's going to sort out our future. It's going to enable us as an industry to be able to hit our goals if we are including everybody. Um, and I think that the one thing that draws all of these individuals together is that true understanding that it's it's a core asset, not a peripheral. Mm -hmm. and, and also, I mean, I can't escape the fact that I'm talking to you as a straight white man. What can people, you know, like me, if you're, say you're a, a white man in a leadership position, what can you do to create a better environment? How can we help in, you know, improve this diversity and inclusion situation? Yeah, be an ally and be an advocate. Like, I, I love the fact that you've asked that question because I've got so, so many straight white men in leadership positions that, that actually ask me the same question. Um, and, you know, there are some who said, oh, really, is it my place? Can I, should I? Yes, please do. Because those in power, those, those who are able to drive change, we, we need you. We all, we all need to work on this together. And in a way, um, um, it's incredibly important that we we can support one another to do that. So I'm really happy you've asked that question because there is actually a program that I'm going to be launching shortly, which will be called the Allyship Alliance. And it's literally, again, going to be a how-to guide of men like yourself, uh, the allies, the advocates, to really, really feel confident in advocating for others um, and calling out discrimination and calling out things that just aren't right in business. And I think mm -hmm. it's incredibly important that you've got a show like this where you are advocating and, and raising visibility of conversations like this. So thank you. No worries. No, thank you. It's it's tricky though, isn't it? Because in the same way with the walk the talk thing, there's there's a line between kind of hollow virtue signaling and actually making a difference, isn't there? And it, it's hard to know what to do. Um, so that, that advice is, is valuable and certainly for me and I hope, I hope for others too. Look, Nadia, thank you for, for joining us. Um, do you have any a parting words for words? Sorry, words. Parting words for for the Wealth Tech Show. 
Um, just thank you so much for raising awareness on this. And um, if there's any more detail to anything I've said that anyone needs, please reach out to me because I'm really aware that, you know, be an advocate, be an ally. What does that mean? Um, call out discrimination. If there's anything that lands that you don't like the sound of, say, hold on a minute, I'm not comfortable with that. And the power of saying that when you witness something that isn't right within your business is so amazing so um yeah i think that would be my my final parting comment and actually one more thing where can we find your podcast oh um oh, everywhere spotify um uh, itunes um if you just google fintech with natty the dei discussions you'll find it fantastic all right that's us for now thank you nadia for joining us and everyone listening i'm ian horn and thank you again for joining us for this week's episode of the wealth tech show mm-hmm.